0: Again, a padena vacham Malam I prostrate with folded hands before Patanjali, who benefited mankind by delivering yoga for mind, grammar for speech, and by removing impurities of body through medicine. So in the last class, we started discussing on the second chapter of Patanjali Yoga Sutra, which deals with the practice that's why the chapter has been nomenclatured as sadhana pada the practice which uh, will lead us to the ultimate spiritual realization through the samadhi which has been spoken of in the very first chapter that has been in details described in the second chapter So, in the last class, we started with a discussion on the Kriya Yoga. The very first Sutra of the second chapter describes that Kriya Yoga. Kriya Yoga, as we told, means working out to attain Yoga. All the practices which can enable us to create the foundation for the higher yoga practices to enunciate, to uh, start, to so what are those three practices which were spoken of as Kriya Yoga? That tapa, Swadhyaya, and Ishwara Pranidhana. So these are the three practices. Tapa speaks of austerity, where I austerity entails renunciation. But that renunciation is not something negative, I renounce something trivial for something which is valuable. Just to get the treasure of life, I renounce something trivial. And for that, I have to go through some hardships that my general trend of my psyche based on the old ways it was leading the old path it was leading it was having certain obsessions, certain habits which has to be changed the course of the mind has to be changed so at the beginning it entails a little of hardship but as we get habituated with that practice then this practice itself becomes the habit and once it becomes the habit The practice becomes spontaneous so we need not be discouraged by the initial hardships it's something which we have to go through as Sri Ramakrishna used to say that you have to row your boat with all your strength till you reach the bend of the river because the stream is against the flow of the boat against the direction of the boat but once you reach the bend of the river now you get the favorable current so now you can relax so tapas means that till you reach that state of spontaneity where these practices has become habit and once it becomes habit now you need not have to exert endeavor constantly go against your will it has become now your second nature. And just now you're in the favorable stream flowing. Spiritual practice becomes something favorable. That's why in Bhagavad Gita it has been mentioned, swalpam apyasya dharmasya trayate bhayat." Practice a little. Once you practice a little and this practice becomes your habit, now you did not bother. This habit will take you to the goal. The habit will make the thing spontaneous and that spontaneity will take you to the goal in spite of yourself. At present, I find that in spite of my strong resolutions, my old habits draws me, drags me down in spite of myself. But through the endeavor, when I can make the good habits, the sadhana as a spontaneous thing, just the opposite thing happens even if i'm placed in an environment which is not favorable for my spiritual practices i will find that the urge has grown within me i feel as if out of waters i feel suffocated and that spontaneity which has developed that drags me to the spiritual practices and that's why in Bhagavad Gita they're saying at the beginning do a swalpa, very little practice, that will save you from the great danger. Your practice will now take you to the goal. So, that is the tapas which we spoke of. Swadhyaya has something to do with the tapas. It's not that exclusive, these three practices are exclusive. But Swadhyaya, that I have no awareness about the spiritual truths. So, of course, I resort to the scriptures. I resort to the scriptures to know about the spiritual truth. Not only that, the one who has already practiced and through practice has already went to a certain type of realization, I go to him and accept him as my preceptor, as my guru and follow the path which is being prescribed by him. He is the one who is an authentic person because he has already, he or she has already uh, followed the scriptures, followed the tradition, and has reached the spiritual realization. For such a person, when he comes down to instruct the humankind, he is the authentic person to do so. So for that, we need to have faith. Just the way we have faith on a doctor, whatever he prescribes without questioning, we resort to that prescription. So here also that type of faith is required. But while having that faith, yes, we should be humble enough that all the instructions I don't understand, all the spiritual truths which has been spoken of is not comprehensible, but I don't doubt the efficacy of those practices. I don't doubt the authenticity of what has been spoken of. I take them to be true with full humbleness. I accept that at present my understanding is not up to it. And so what I do, I go on cogitating upon it. So after hearing Sravana, this is Manana, I go on cogitating upon it. And that cogitation at last clears off the doubts of my mind. And then I reach to a certain extent of intellectual conviction. But that alone is not enough. That intellectual conviction has to be contemplated upon so that it can take me to the ultimate realization. Realization alone is the truth, is the uh, proof of your spiritual attainment. So you have to realize till then, this intellectual conviction may give give us a feeling that I have understood the spiritual truth, but know it for certain. Whenever there is a crisis in life, you will find that intellectual conviction is not helping you a bit. Even a bit, it is not helping you. You find that your intellectual understanding You cannot correlate to it. As Swami Vivekananda used to say, very nice story, that a male deer, a stag, one day was seeing its own reflection in a pond and seeing its muscular limbs, it was bragging. Oh, how strong I am. It was bragging to the young one. The young deer, which was near it, it was just bragging, just see how strong I am. And suddenly from nowhere, they heard the barking of a dog. They didn't even see, just heard. And immediately the the stag started running and the fawn also followed after it. The young one also followed. After a long distance, when the stag was sure that the dog is nowhere near, it stopped, but it was totally exhausted. It was gasping. The form the young one asked just now you were so confident about your strength. What happened to you? What made you so scared and that you run almost you were running for life. What happened? And then he this tag replied, I don't know what happens to my confidence. The moment I hear the barking of a dog. So that's what Swami is indicating that all our convictions are like that stags conviction about its strength when it sees its reflection in the pool, but it's all gone when it hears the barking of the dog. So unless we have realization, all those so-called intellectual conviction won't be of any help. It will scare us. It will make us behave in a pitiable way. People will say, oh, such a spiritual person always, discussing the spiritual truths leading such a nice life what happened to him, but it was just a mere intellectual conviction. It didn't get converted into realization when it gets converted into realization and nothing can delude such a person. So that's what is Swadhyaya that once you have the intellectual conviction, go on repeating on it in the form of mantra till it takes you to the realization. And Ishwara Pranidhana, to maintain that calmness, you have to surrender yourself to the divine. Always think that the divine is guiding you in your life, sitting in your heart. You have no expectation. All the results, you offer it to the divine. In that way, nothing agitates you, nothing worries you that what is going to happen in the future. Because you have all of you have surrendered yourself to the divine, offered everything to the divine. Oh, then just you always say, Oh, God, it is you who is taking care of me. I have had nothing to bother. There's a wonderful Tagore song. Many don't understand the meaning. The first line is Tomar holo shuru, Amar holo shara. So for you, now it's the beginning. For me, it's over. It's end. In In the Bengali song, if you translate, that's the meaning. So the one who has surrendered, he's saying to the Lord as if, for you now it's the beginning. That what you are going to do with me, it is your worry. So it is beginning for you. For me, it's over. Now I have nothing to worry. I've handed over it to you. The key is with you. Now you decide. And now I'm relaxed. So that's the idea of Ishwar Pranidhana. So with these basic practices. When we start our spiritual journey, gradually we will find that these three practices is taking me to a state where I will find the afflictions are getting attenuated, weakened. Raga, Dvesha, Abhinivesha. That our tremendous attachment for the sensed pleasures of life is Raga, Dvesha. All the things which I hate, the tremendous hatred, a tremendous fear, that intensity is reducing. That is artha, And what the next thing is happening? Samadhi-Bhavanartha. And these three practices reduces my affliction and makes me more and more compatible for Samadhi, for the highest spiritual realization. How it happens? That in the last class, we uh, just left out this portion. that. Uh, we discussed that how klesha Tarnukaranath that kleshas get reduced. Through all the Kriya Yoga, when a spontaneity ensues, a flow ensues, then what happens, you know, uh, that when the flow ensues, a Vaisharadya, that is called Vaisharadya, uh, becomes the natural state of your psyche. Vaisharadya means Vishuddha Sattva. To give to just explain this Vishuddha Sattva state in a very simple way, that there are three gunas, sattva rajatama. That when the in meditation your mind is focused and it is just flowing without any effort, that's the sattva state. But when sometimes we find that we are not established in that state, I'm trying hard, but my monkey mind is extremely restless, full of rajas, that restlessness is rajas. And sometimes Uh, For the time being, if my mind gets just a bit calm as I've never experienced that calmness immediately it goes into a state of stupor laziness dullness many are there who think that to be a very high state of meditation whenever they go for uh, sit for meditation immediately they go into a state of slumber and they think that it is something like Samadhi so. That's the mistake. That's why Swamiji used to say that tamas comes in the disguise of sattva. In our spiritual life. We should be very aware of it. So what is this Vishuddha sattva? That my, through meditation I have become so adept that the restlessness doesn't happen at all. My my mind no more breaks into that restless state, nor it goes to the state of stupor. It is in a constant awareness, very focused awareness, very alert, but at the same time, it is not distracted. So that's the state of Vishuddha Sattva. When you enter that, what happens, you will find even your, this bodily feelings are falling off, that you are the body, that sense goes off. How it happens, even in our day-to-day life, we find when we are focused to a certain thing, We forget our hunger, we forget our thirst. Suppose a cricket match is going on in the TV and you're so engrossed in it, your time for dinner, but you are, it is time for dinner, but you are not bothered. The hunger is no more disturbing you because the portion of your mind which has to be uh, kept, uh, which has to be connected with that hunger, that also has been taken away by the focus. So the entire mind has been taken away by the focus, you will find that's why the classical musician for hours they are just performing without getting tired. A surgeon on the surgery, when he's doing on the surgery for eight hours, nine hours is standing, doesn't feel any stress, no strength, only after the surgery is o- over, then he feels so I'm extremely tired. What has happened And the mind is extremely focused. It cannot process any other thing what to spill off speak of external distractions even the bodily feelings in the form of hunger thirst tiredness that also falls off if that falls off then how the afflictions uh, can come into picture in the form of attachment hatred fear because all the bodily feelings this attachment hatred fear everything is linked with our body the moment the bodily feelings has fallen off There is no question of getting afflicted by the attachment hatred fear my attachment for food has fallen off my fear for anything has fallen off because i'm so engrossed in it so that same thing happens in meditation in the meditation the difference between this type of focus in meditation and other things the other things are dependent on something external but the meditation is something just it doesn't depend on anything Yes, it's total a mental affair. You are not depending on anything. And that is taking you to that state of videha, bodylessness. And that way, the more you can enter into that state, the more the afflictions falls off. Not only that, this meditation, by entering into the state of spontaneity, what happens? It takes you to that ekatanata. It's one thought that I am not the body, not the mind, not the senses. I am the Atman, I am the Purusha, the conscious principle. This thought becomes Ekatana. This thought uh, becomes the Ekavritti, one vritti, which as if destroys, kills off all other vrittis. The mental module which you have designed through meditation that overpowers all other modules. That Tajya Sangskara, Anya Sangskara Pratibandhi, we studied in the first chapter. The Sangskara, which emanates, the latent impression, which emanates from this design module of meditation, that overpowers, that simply subdues the latent impressions of all other mental modules. That's the one thing which happens. And the other thing, what happens is Tajya Sangskara is the first and then you reach that state of Ritambhara pragya as all the biases of your mind falls off in that state because all the biases are linked with the attachments When the attachments are not their biases fallen off the Ritambhara pragya the pragya the wisdom which is full of truth rhythm that evolves and then what happens you can Always in your mind, that awareness is there that this world, after all, is a flow, is temporary. It's not something uh, which is permanent. It is just a flow. The real thing is a conscious principle, the Purusha. This becomes something, uh, the, your normal awareness. And from that, the para that supreme detachment. And shoes. And once that happens, then all the kleshas are burnt off, it falls off. So that's the idea which has been spoken of in the second sutra that klesha uh, taruk that samadhi bhavanartha. That's the result of the Kriya Yoga. Now, they spoke of klesha in the second sutra, that it get to get rid of the afflictions, to reduce the afflictions, to attenuate the afflictions I have to practice Priya Yoga. So naturally the question comes, what are the afflictions? So that will be described in the third Sutra, which we are going to take up today for which I will share the screen to you. So what are the five kleshas? There are five kleshas which has been spoken of in the third sutra. What are they? Avidya, Asmita, Raga, Tvesha, abhinivesha. This has already came to a discussion many a time because it is one of the very uh, primary tenets of Yoga Shastra. That these are the things which binds us. So naturally from the first chapter many times it came. But as per their mention in the yoga sastra is concerned, it is here. It is in the second chapter, the third sutra. So we have discussed many a time. So in short, let us just go through it. Avidya means ignorance, asmita, egoism, raga, attachment, dvesha, aversion, and abhinivesha is clinging to life. So what actually it speaks of? That the conscious principle, the purusha, which is non-afflictive by its own nature because nothing can affect it. It is pure and perfect, it is eternal. Nothing can in any way uh, harm it, destroy it. It is always there as the eternal present. But because of ignorance, when it comes in association with the prakriti, It comes in association with the nature in the form of our psychophysical existence. It comes in association with that, it gets reflected in that, and it gets identified with that association, with that reflection. This identification of the purusha, because of ignorance, with the prakriti, with the mind, is egoism, asmita. The moment that you feel that I am this psychophysical existence, that is the asmita. I am not this psychophysical existence. The mere real amness is pure, unadulterated, beyond all association. But because of ignorance, it gets associated with the prakriti. Just the way in our scriptures they say that you place a red flower in proximity of the prism. And you will find the prism is appearing red. The red tinge of the red flower is pervading that prism. How it has happened? Has really the prism become red? No. The redness of the flower being in proximity of the prism gives an appearance that the prism is red, but it has really not become red. That's what happened when the conscious principle is in association with the mind in no way The either of them is taking each other's characteristics, they're both separate. But because of the proximity, it appears. The prakriti appears to be uh, something living, throbbing, the tinge of consciousness makes it look to be conscious. And on the other hand, the conscious principle thinks that it is that reflection that red tinge which is seen in the prism, it is that, it is that red tinge. So both are getting, uh, this uh, Purusha is getting deluded because of its proximity with the Prakriti and that because of the delusion that Asmita, I am the psychophysical existence, that idea comes into uh, existence that is known as the egoism, that is known as the Asmita. Now from this Asmita the other three follows, raga, dvesha, abhinivesha, attachment, hatred, and abhinivesha actually means fear, fear of death, which in, other, uh, in another language can be spoken of as clinging to life. The fear of death means clinging to life. So how this three comes? The moment you get attached to the body, that the example which, which we gave again and again, Why why to speak of this human being? Even a small microbe, even behind that, that conscious principle is that, there. That small microbe in a petri dish, you will find that if you put some nutrient, the microbe is drawn towards it, raga. The moment the conscious principle now thinks that it is that small microbe body, it's that asmita results in attachment, raga. It's been drawn toward the nutrient. If instead of nutrient, I put some toxin in the sand, in the middle of the petri dish, the microbes run away from it. It's direction changes. That is Dvesha, Abhinivesha, the fight and flight response. Dvesha is fighting. If something which is not favorable for my psychophysical existence, I find that I can fight it. That's in the form of hatred. I, fight, I try to get rid of it, and if it is too powerful, I myself run away from it. That is flight. That is abhinivesha. Throughout our life, we are constantly trying to run away from death. We <coughs> cling to life. That is the abhinivesha. So this pancha klesha, in simple way, can be spoken of. That from the ignorance, that egoism, which comes into picture, from the egoism, the other three, the raga, dvesha attachment, hatred, fear of death, all these three comes into uh, existence and that's what has been spoken of as the five kleshas, the five afflictions. Now in the fourth sutra, what they are saying, Kshetram uttaresam prasupta tanu vichin udarana. So ignorance is the breeding ground, as we told. From the ignorance, egoism evolves. So the first suit of that ignorance is egoism. From that comes attachment, aversion, and clinging to life. So breeding ground is the ignorance. So avidya kshetram. Kshetram means the breeding ground. So avidya is the breeding ground of all that follow. uttaresha, This asmita, raga, dvesha, These are the things which follow. So avidya kshetram uttaresham. Ignorance is the breeding ground of all that follow. Now this again this all this pancha klesha can be in dormant form, prasupta. There again, these four types which has been spoken of here. Prasupta, tanu, vichhinna, udhara. Very interesting. You will find as we go to the discussion. That avidya is the kshetra is the breeding ground of all the other four glaciers and all these glaciers you will find ex, finds, uh, expression in four forms it may be dormant what is the dormant means you will find that a small child each and every child is an innocent child so nice so pure but what happens to that purity then, when they reach that adolescence, suddenly you will find certain traits of the character is evolving, which was not visible at all. From where they came, it was there. It was there in the psyche in dormant form. That is prasupta to germinate in proper time. So, not only that, so that for a small child, that's why we say the expression that innocent as a baby. So yet the baby may be in the state of a demon or of a god. We don't know what it may, when it grows, it can just uh, develop some demonical traits or it may have some divine traits. We don't know. We have to just wait and see as it comes out by degrees. So they're all prasupta. Not only that, even in our day-to-day life, sometimes we think that some of the desires are not there. Some of the fear is not there. Many of us, after reading Bhagavad Gita a little, we start thinking, "Oh, after all, I'm the Atman." So, I have understood that. So, what's the fear of death? I have no fear of death. Intellectually, sometimes we feel like that. Many of us feel. But sometimes, if a crisis, God forbid, it doesn't happen, that we are in a moment where we are, our life is in crisis. In the road, we were about to meet a very terrible accident. And then we will find our reflex is such, which speaks of tremendous fear. And from where it came, I don't know. It was there because of the lack of favorable circumstances, it was not visible. So we may not be aware of that fear of death in the present in us, but in the life-threatening situation, the fear will surface. So this fear of death, in most of us, is prasupta. The best example of prasupta you can understand when you go to the shopping mall. So many things are there which you have never planned to purchase, but they were all prasupta. All those desires were there. It was there the moment you go, and in the favorable circumstances, they have. I mean, that's why that what that wonderful display is there to bring out the dormant desires in the conscious mind. So till then it was prasupta. It was not, you were not actually aware of them. Uh, you never planned uh, to be in the food court and having some, uh, 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 in some food or some drinks, or you were not having any plans to purchase certain things. but you find you are already there. What has happened? They were dormant. Seeing the favorable circumstances, they became Udara. That we will come. So, Prasupta, there are so many desires, so many afflictions which are not visible because of the lack of favorable circumstances. They're just lying dormant. So, that has been spoken of. Is all the five Kleshas can be in the dormant form. That is Prasupta. Next is attenuated Tanu. Tanu is through practice, through conscious practice, I have somehow subdued them. It has not totally gone off, but it cannot overpower me. Suppose in the previous example that what, in the previous, uh, that example which we gave, that suddenly I'm in a life-threatening situation and I find that my reflex is such that it is making me run away from the situation to save myself. And sometimes in a very awkward way, we do that. Sometimes the real danger is not there, but we behave thinking that real danger is there in a very awkward way. But I will just give one example. One of our swamis in India, you will find sometimes the river bed is totally dried up in the summer because of scarcity of rain, And even the vehicles can pass through that river bed. So one of our Swami uh, was accompanied by another Swami. So two of them were just driving down the riverbed when suddenly they could see the column of water coming, means the dam has been suddenly released and almost a column of water is coming. And the, you know the riverbed is not something very uh, like a smooth path. The driver was trying its best to move out fast. And somehow when it just went to the bank, That huge column of water just simply just went through and the water level immediately increased to some uh, some 10 feet. Means It was just a fraction of a moment. It was the life and death situation. And the Swami who was there, the moment the uh, car somehow managed to come out of that stream, they were saved. But he was extremely dejected. He says that, that just uh, when I was passing through the river bed for my entire journey till then my, my, my journey, uh, I was having the beads in my hand. I was doing that reputation Japa. The moment I saw the column of water, the driver was trying to uh, just get off the bed. He was driving as fast as possible. And for me, the Japa stopped i was so scared that about the f- death and then i understood that this is avinivesha so but now what is tanu the true pra- constantly contemplation that in the bhagavad gita it is mentioned that the soul it cannot be dried it cannot be burned akledoyam Adhayoyam, ashoshya so it cannot be uh, dried it cannot be uh, you know, what you say that drenched. So all those things are mentioned. That it is indestructible. When you go on studying it through that, what it may happen, you can attenuate the clashes. That yes, when the life-threatening situation comes, the fear is there, but it cannot overpower you. You can still maintain the calmness. That the, to a certain extent, you will find the army is given is trained in that way. That even in life-threatening situation, to behave in a way that they don't lose their wits, so that ultimately they can save themselves. So this uh, capacity to attenuate the clashes has been explained as, as tanu attenuated. So it can be prasupta, it can be attenuated. So this attenuation can be done with the help of swadhyaya, that constantly uh, repeat, repeating your mantra your conviction gradually it is saturating your psyche that way you will find that even in this situation of crisis you're not overpowered it's not that you have totally got rid of it but you cannot be overpowered you can maintain your calm so that is being spoken of as tanu Then next is overpowered or interrupted which in what is that that there are so many glaciers in us but sometimes one glacier can overpower the other and the other one becomes invisible for the time being to give an example a robber is out for a bank committing a bank robbery and is eager to get out hands on a bag full of dollars At that time he's so much greedy about that dollars, that fear for getting caught or harmed is no more there. Actually, he's the most vulnerable one. Anytime he can get caught, he can be bit harmed. But the fear has vanished because of the greed. So the greed has overpowered the fear, the fear is not visible. So in this case, the fear has been interrupted for the timing it has been interrupted or overpowered by greed. This is known as vichinna. For us, as we uh, grow in age, in the middle age, we will find that we had some tremendous craving for sweet, but it is now suppressed by the fear of blood sugar. So it is not that, that the craving for sweet has gone. It is there, but it is suppressed by the fear of high blood sugar so you know we all have especially the teenagers have the obsession for speeding you know why that speeding obsession we have the evolutionary scientists will tell you that speed throughout the process of evolution speed was something which was necessary for the predator speed was necessary to catch its prey for the uh, prey Speed was necessary to get rid of the predator. So speed was a necessary thing. So that's why it has become an obsession. Now there is no need of speed, but we feel like speeding. The speed gives a thrill because it has it is somehow uh, in deep in our psyche to give us a feeling that it is something which is necessary. It has become obsession. The necessity by constant pursuit has become your habit and habit has become an obsession. So that's why without any reason uh, we feel like speeding so that obsession for speeding is there, but it is suppressed by the fear of getting fined and losing your points. So it is not that uh, that speeding you won't speed if someone today is suddenly says that for one day there won't be any fine or there won't be any uh, what you say. Uh, uh, The points won't be deducted immediately will find everything will be in mess. So that's why Swamiji used to say that we are not much moral. It is the police and the social setup, the social fabric, the society, the rule of the societies that keeps us moral. So moment all those restrictions are gone, you will find that you were thinking yourself to be a gentleman, but actually you are not so. It has been found that whenever there is a riot, the shops are plundered the minority shops are plundered and who are plundering the so called gentlemen when the law has broken for the time being you all the so called the your moral fabric has fallen off people are going and just taking the advantage of the situation plundering the shops so what has happened the fear of the police actually keeps us moral so this is a vichinna something else one affliction is just suppressing some other affliction. And then the fourth, the last is the udara. So when, when the situations are favorable, the so-called all those prasupta and those vichinna, all those glaciers, they find expression. So in, it is a state when samskaras or latent impressions having helpful surroundings was, gets a great activity. Either as good or as evil, as, as per the sanskar is called. it is a good sanskar, it will find expression as something good. If it is an evil sanskar, it will find expression as an evil. So now, very interesting. If of all these four, this udara alone is the one of which we are aware. You know, this, the prasupta, we are not aware. The vichinna, we are not aware. Tanu, also to certain extent, We we have control, we are not aware. The thing, the latent impression which we are aware of is Udara. This alone, which is previous. So, the afflictions which we are aware of is just the tip of an iceberg. Just so many afflictions are there. Why it is being, why we are mentioning it? That so many afflictions are there. What we are aware of is just the tip of an iceberg. So, we have to really get rid of so many things of which we are not even aware of. So, but the positive thing of this, there's a positive side of it. That just like the bad samskaras, also the good samskaras can become udhara If they are there as latent impression in my subconscious mind. So that's why in this life, whenever the chance permits we should try to inculcate as much as good habits as possible because we don't know again when we will get the good good situation the circumstance is not in my hand Now, now in this life most probably i did some sadhana in the next birth i may be in a situation where it is not favorable for spiritual practices then all those sadhana will be in my psyche as prasutta. But the moment you get a good situation, immediately they will sprout. Because I've already uh, practiced them in my previous life. They they were dormant, getting the favorable circumstances, they sprout. And that's why Sri Ramakrishna used to give a wonderful example. You know, a gardener was tilling the soil when suddenly he struck a hidden water pipeline. And the fountain of water started gushing out. And it happens in our, in our spiritual journey. If you read the life of the saints, you will find so many saints were leading just an ordinary life, not only ordinary life. Sometimes they were highly licentious, leading a life which was, uh, uh, there was no uh, sense of restriction, totally licentious life they were leading. And suddenly there was a great change. What has happened, suddenly they came, they were exposed to some favorable circumstances, most probably in the previous birth, they had practiced and that has created some good samskaras that were hidden. As there was no proper circumstances, it were not sprouting. But the moment they get the little good circumstances, immediately they sprout and immediately the overhaul, it like a tsunami, it comes and changes the personality. To give an example, We can give the example in the life of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. As a young boy, he will find his full of fun, frivolous. Even those who were of devotional temperament, they will make fun of them. All were scared of this young group, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and all the associates. They were all highly, uh, this Pandits in Sanskrit grammar, in Nyaya philosophy, he was a uh, very great exponent. So he never gave importance to bhakti. Whenever he used to see anyone practicing these devotional practices, he used to make fun of them. They were scared of him. And one day in Navadvip, one uh, monk came. His name is Ishwarapuri. Puri. He visited uh, Navadvip. And now he heard that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu that at that time uh, he was uh, he was not uh, yet he was where this vishwambhar he was yet to become uh, the chaitanya mahaprabhu so to him so he heard that chaitanya mahaprabhu is the one who is an expert in sanskrit grammar he's a grammarian now ishwarapuri has written a life of krishna krishna leela in sanskrit but he was sure that there are a lot of grammatical mistakes but because he was not uh, very good in Sanskrit though he had quite a fair knowledge of Sanskrit but he was sure there is bound to be quite a number of grammatical mistakes so to edit it he was in need he was in search of a grammarian and when he heard that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is a a very highly scholarly person he approached him and told, Will you please read this? Now, what is it? It's is a life of Krishna. He told, It's all bogus. You please take it off. I don't believe in all those uh, Bhagawan, Leela, and all. This is the divine play. So then, Ishwar Puri was a very humble soul. He told, I have not come here just to uh, expose you, just to convert you in these ideas. I have heard that you are a very learned person, you are very good in Sanskrit grammar, so there may be a lot of mistakes, will you please correct it, Please, please edit it. So now Chaitanya Mahaprabhu agreed, well okay, I will, I will do that. I will just see whether there is any grammatical corrections are required or not. And that's how he started going through the work of Ishwar Puri. And by the time he completed, he was a changed person. Not only means it was not ordinary devotion; it was overwhelming devotion. It means even Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's mother became worried because he couldn't give any uh, what is attention to his household work, his profession. Everything stopped because of that overwhelming devotion. The total life was overhauled just by reading that, and he took initiation from Ishwar Prane. Went and fell flat at his feet and took Ishwar. Took initiation from him, and that he is became a converted soul. So the pipeline, that hidden water pipeline, was suddenly struck and the fountain of spirituality started gushing. So it was there, hidden. It came out. So that's the Udhara. So it may be, the prasupta may be good. And that's why we have to go on. Whenever the favorable circumstances are there, we should go on practicing, try to inculcate. The good things in life, the, the things which speaks of sublimity that we should practice so that we don't know again when we get favorable circumstances, but when we get, they will just simply in a form of tsunami, they will come and flood your total psyche. So that's the good thing of udara. So it's the only thing which is prevailing and uh, in. Or you this uh, the this, uh, this sutra speaks of only these four uh, states of Klesha, but in the Vyashabhashya, they speak of the fifth, while exposing, while explaining the sutra that is called Kushala or the Dagdha glacier. What is that? That now these glaciers can be burned, not to sprout again. Now all these four states even the prasupta you know is like a seed when it gets the water when it gets the favorable circumstances sprouts but if the seed can be burned, you know a burnt seed a roasted seed looks like an ordinary seed how to find out that whether it is really a living seed or a roasted seed just uh, you sow it you plant and you will find that the roasted seed is not going to sprout so that's why it's called dagdhaklesh that there are persons for whom by constantly practicing viveka khyati, the discriminative knowledge, which has taken them to that ultimate state of samadhi, for, the, for such persons, the afflictions has been totally burnt off. They will never come back. They will never sprout. That's the difference between the prasupta and the dagdhavija state. So in the vyasa Vyasabhasya, there's a mention of this fifth state of affliction. Once the Yogi has gained Viveka khyata, the discriminative knowledge, the conviction that one is not the appearances, but the consciousness in which they appear. That's the thing, that I am not the appearance. This psychophysical existence is an appearance. It is appearing on the consciousness. So that, con- that I am actually the conscious principle. So one who has got established in that, for such a person, the, all the clashes falls off forever. There is no chance of them to come back. To understand the Vija state, again we will resort to that example of Swamiji. It is a real uh, incident in his life. He, as a Parivrajak, as a wandering monk, when he was passing through the deserts of Rajasthan, he was thirsty and he was in search of water. And suddenly he saw a huge reservoir at a distance. He started proceeding towards it. After some time he found that the reservoir disappeared. He was not approaching it in any way and then it disappeared. And then it struck him. Oh, from my childhood, I have heard of Miraj. I had an intellectual conviction of the existence of Miraj. I thought I knew what Miraj is. But for the first time I experienced it. So this is the difference. Reading in the textbook and thinking that you know it and to really experience it. So today I experienced it. And then Swamiji is saying interesting thing. Now the next day, when I was again passing through the desert, as I am in my mind and senses, again I see the reservoir. But today there is a great difference. The glaciers has fallen off. How? That reservoir cannot drag me. Yesterday it dragged me, today it cannot drag me. Once the realization happens, now it is something a palpable truth that yes, it is a projection. It is an appearance on the reality, on the desert. The desert on which that mirage, that reservoir appears, that reservoir has no capacity even to drench a single sand particle, that huge reservoir you see. So it can in no way affect the reality, the substratum. It is something a mere projection, and now it can no more affect you. I cannot be drawn towards it. I see it, but it cannot draw me. It cannot drag me. So this is the state of kushala. There is the state of dagdha glacier, where kushala means dagdha glacier, when the all the glaciers are burnt off, not to sprout again because of the realization. Then what happens? This although you are living, and nothing can bind you, nothing can so influence you. You move around till your prarabdha is over. You go on living as a Jivan Mukta. You are this freedom, a free soul, even while living. You need not have to die to be free. Even while living, you enjoy the freedom of existence by going to that state of the glacier so these four has been in uh, the four, first four has been uh, uh, described indicated in the sutra itself the fifth is indicated by Vyasa in the vashya the sutra doesn't indicate it because it's only the state of a yogi it's not a general state the other four is for all the fifth is only for a realized soul so as it is not for the commoners, so most probably in the sutra they have not mentioned, but Vyasa to motivate us to go beyond that indicated that, that is this This is not the be all and end all. We can reach a state where the glaciers can be totally burnt off. That's the, the glacier and that's our goal. And then only we can be liberated. So that's what has been indicated in this sutra. So in the from the next sutras, each of these five glaciers will be enunciated in a much more elaborate way. That what ignorance is, what asmita is, what raga dvesha virivasha is, they will be enunciated. We will go through them one by one in the succeeding classes. Uh, so with this, we stop our discussion today, but I please just, uh, uh, I want to announce something. The next class, the next Thursday falls in uh, our